0: and enjoy. Let's give her a very warm welcome, Katie DeSitter. Hey, hey guys, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the reading part I think fun and brief and fun um, and <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna start it out. Um, by just talking to you a little bit about Molly Metropolis, who is, um, I was talking to somebody this morning who said that she was more the subject of the book than the character, which I really like. She's a pop star, um, and in the little universe of my book, she is super duper famous, the most famous pop star in the world at the time, um, and she disappears at the sort of apex of her career. So imagine like Michael Jackson putting out the thriller video and then was never seen again or um, like Lady Gaga in 2009 um, uh, uh, Taylor Swift right now um, <laughs> completely uh, just disappears off the face of the earth and that is um, my aunt just walked in. Hi Aunt Wendy. <laughs> um and, um, and so that's it. And so, and so when she disappeared, everybody was like really upset about it. Um, and some people had a lot of conspiracy theories. Some people mourned her. Um, and, and so this is, book is kind of about what happened after she disappeared. Um, and I'm just going to read from the very beginning. Um, you, well, there's a prologue, but I'm reading from chapter one. You don't need to know anything. Um, and uh, I'll keep it short, but if you guys get bored, just like start... <laughs> like clearing your throats or something and I'll stop I'll find a good place to stop okay can you hear me I'm gonna keep my like I'll be is it good with my head down all right good (laughs) chapter one January 2010, a new decade had recently been rung in with less pomp and circumstance than the previous decade, which had the Y2K scare, not to mention the resurgence of Prince's fantastic 1999, selling over 2 million new copies over the course of the year. When the world celebrated the new millennium, Molly Metropolis was only 13. Born to an upper-middle-class interracial family, Molly's African-American mother differentiated her from her white high school classmates. She didn't have any siblings or friends to share the experience of growing up biracial in a majority white space. But characteristically, Molly let her dissimilarities from her peers be her strength. Sometimes I felt like an alien, Molly told the New York Times in late 2009. But even when I felt completely lonely, I thought, it's better to be unique than to be like everyone else. A few weeks after giving that interview, as the overwhelming success of her single Apocalypse Dance and its accompanying 13-minute Alice in Wonderland-themed music video portended another stratospherically successful year, Molly Metropolis disappeared. Molly was gone just as we were truly getting to know her. Five hit singles from her outrun, electro-infused, and dance floor-centric debut, Cause Celebrity, gave Molly pop stardom and global name recognition. Her public presentation resembled Marilyn Monroe's opaqueness disguised as translucence, but before Marilyn died and was demystified. Like an old Hollywood starlet with a name and a backstory invented by a studio big wig, Molly seemed to invite you in, but then you realized you've had hours of conversation with her and you don't really know anything about her. The only difference was that Molly made up her own name." During a time when pop singers like Jessica Simpson and Britney Spears cultivated down-to-earth public personalities and signed away their last shreds of privacy to MTV's reality television factory, Molly wanted her public pers- her public persona to be like parties at Holly Golightly's apartment, crowded and so fun you forget you never really spoke to the hostess. After the premiere of Apocalypse dance music video, And amidst conflicts with her record label about her delayed second album cause apocalyptic, Molly Metropolis updated her Twitter account more frequently with pictures of dance rehearsals and workout sessions. She she retweeted fans, and in true stars-they're-just-like-us fashion, she grumbled about hangovers. November 11, 2009, 2.16 p.m., at Molly Metropolis stayed up late celebrating apocalypse dance video premiere too much red wine she also tweeted quotations from her favorite philosopher Guy Debord often unattributed November 16th, 2009 5.33am at Molly Metropolis I've written much less than most people who write I've drunk much more than most people who drink Sometimes, she altered debords words to meet her own needs. For example, changing, quote, "...young people everywhere have been allowed to choose between love and a garbage disposal unit," to November fourteenth, two 2009, 4.25 p.m., at Molly Metropolis. People are told they have a choice between love and a garbage disposal unit. I say, fuck love, fuck garbage, eat pop instead." After popular celebrity gossip website, Oh No They Didn't, posted a story about record execs cutting some of her touring perks after she badmouthed them to Rolling Stone, Molly tweeted from the first page of DeBord's comments on the society of the spectacle. December 3rd, 2009, 1022 AM, at Molly Metropolis. I obviously can't speak with complete freedom. Above all, I must take care not to give too much information to just anybody. Although most of her fans didn't identify the real writer of some of her tweets, savvy readers could have picked up some revealing hints about Molly's inner life about her, from her choice of quotation sources. Gawker.com wrote a short piece entitled, Is Molly Metropolis a Secret Guy Debord Fan? The answer, of course, was yes. <laughs> Elle put Molly on their December 2009 cover she returned the favor by giving interviewer Eliza L. Pinkett her most revealing interview to that point she told Pinkett stories from her childhood teetering on the edge of talking about racism without fully committing to a dialogue growing up I was very theoretical and dramatic and strange I had this gigantic mane of wild really thick hair most of my friends were white girls with thin hair and they didn't know how to help me look good it was the 90s so everyone was trying to have that really straight Jennifer Aniston look she also talked about the difficulties of dating as a superstar. What I don't understand are the guys who don't want to be with a successful woman. It's so sexist. It's like, don't they want to be with the best version of me? The one that sells hundreds of thousands of records and gets to spend every night with thousands of my fans? If a guy can't deal with that, he's the one that has a problem, not me. <laughs> Molly couldn't keep debord out of the L interview, explaining fame to Pinkett in Debordian terms. In the past, being a pop star meant specializing in the seemingly lived, superficially representing one personality type or another. Like, one pop star is the pretty virginal one, and one is the wild child, and one is the unlucky and loved one. But I'm not superficial. I'm not a type. I'm a woman. And I don't want my fans to get some simulation of life from watching me. I want them to listen to my music and feel that it describes and improves their own life. I want them to identify with me, but also know that I'm my own person. By the time the Owl profile was published, on the eve of her disappearance, Molly Metropolis's following had become increasingly passionate and fervent. The creativity and ferocity she devoted to what would have otherwise been standard pop songs caught the attention of highbrow critics and thinkers, as well as teenage pop devotees. She insisted on her and her fans' nonconformity with society, even as she sold millions of records. After... Oh i 'm sorry when Molly Metropolis vanished during her massive apocalypse ball tour, she left one hundred and twenty five dates unperformed and cost her record company upwards of twenty five million dollars and disappointed thousands of fans who had given her their hearts, souls, and money at the time of her disappearance. Molly Metropolis had more than forty million Twitter followers and fan sites in the in the hundreds. After she disappeared, a few kooks came out of the woodwork to offer elaborate explanations. A popular Illuminati conspiracy theory website called The Vigilant Citizen, which, side note, really exists and is great and you should all read it, (laughs) (laughs) weighed in, uh, The Vigilant Citizen weighed in with their particular brand of insanity. On August 12, 2009, the website had published a long article called Molly Metropolis, an Illuminati Puppet which claimed that Molly was a mind-controlled puppet and that every time she posed for a picture with a hand over her eye, she was making herself into the all-seeing eye. The Vigilant Citizen wrote, Those who have passed Illuminati Symbolism 101 know that the all-seeing eye is probably its most recognized symbol. (laughs) it's like that right (laughs) according to the vigilant citizen Molly Metropolis disappeared because her delta or killer programming had been activated and she had completed her final Illuminati operation then vanished to hide the evidence of her actions with the story the vigilant citizen ran an early publicity photo with Molly dressed in a black t-shirt and a deep v-neck she holds the back of her hand up to her left eye to reveal a tattoo of an eye inside of a triangle that Molly has on her palm. Needless to say, the police never investigated Delta programming slash evil Illuminati mission as a possible explanation for her disappearance. Leaving behind the wildest conspiracy theories, most people argued over whether Molly Metropolis had been kidnapped, killed, or had left of her own volition. Various broadcast news reporters and internet commenters fought out these opposing viewpoints until they had nothing new to say. Thanks, guys. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You've got to buy it now. You, you've got to buy it and read it.
1: <laughs> I'll come
0: over to your house and read it to you. It's fine. As you're falling asleep. Alright guys. Time for a QA. <laughs> this is the best part. See, it's so good. What's up, Zan? Um, so I have a question. Uh, which is I started reading it and started reading that there are song lyrics in here and I'm curious uh, what it was like to write song lyrics as opposed to prose and I came up with them. Okay, oh they were, it was so hard for me to write song lyrics. It was really hard. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. What it, I, I found songs that I like really liked and tried to copy the, rith- the rhythms of them because I don't I don't write like poetry. I don't really write um, I don't write song lyrics, and so it was really difficult. But then on the other hand, it was also there were things that were easy about it um, because there are like very common themes in pop songs, and so whenever I was confused, I just fell back on on some common themes. Love. <laughs> what? what are you gonna say? Yes, Anne. Um, how did you get interested in Guy Debord? Uh, she asked me how I got interested in Guy Debord. Um It was this really weird back doorway into it, and so um, like one of the steps is missing. I can't remember exactly how I got there, um, but I was—I had been reading a book about um, about um, actually like the advent of surgery. In England, um, and that was happening during sort of the exploratory era, um, and a lot of the like like the surgeons were also did um, operations on like exotic animals that were brought back to Europe from these sort of exploratory trips to the Caribbean, and um, so the like a- that got me into the age of exploration, which got me into map making, and then there was an internet, and then somehow I was reading about the Situationists and psychogeography, and that really interested me but like it was it was like one of those like clicking on wikipedia links and all of a sudden I was there and I had no idea yeah how I got there what's up Erica hey um I'm curious about why you made Molly Metropolis uh, biracial oh why did I make Molly Metropolis biracial was the question um There's a couple of reasons. Um, One of them was because when I was writing about her I was really influenced by Janelle Monae and her style and her sound and it just didn't seem cool to kind of pick up her aesthetic and then just like make it a white person. Um, And then the other thing the other thing there's a there's a I'll, there's more than one other thing, but one other thing is just that um, Molly was always an outsider and I wanted her to always have been an outsider in a lot of ways, um, and not kind of artificially, like I wanted it to be like you know, something that she couldn't take off, this outsiderness, like something that she wasn't performing that was part of her and um, another reason was because my friend Erica and I actually had a conversation about, um, you were <laughs> that was true, um, you were talking about, I, was, I had been thinking About all these things about Molly, and then you were talking to me about how you were having a hard time finding children's books with biracial characters in them, and um, and it just I was like, oh well, you know, like those characters aren't around a lot, and it just I don't know, just fit in together. Anybody else? Darcy. So once you found the situation. How much research did you do? Um I did a lot like a lot for a non-academic amateur. I read a lot of books. Um I read maybe Six or seven books, maybe more than that. Um, I read a whole book of Guy Debord's correspondence that's put out by Semiotext, which is a really, it's like a very cool volume, and it just, you know, got me like into his mind a lot. Um, It's actually kind of super boring, um, and I wouldn't, but like if you're like a big fan of his, I'd recommend it, but otherwise, um, I mean, it's it's a beautiful, wonderful book that Semiotext put out. Oh, God, I've dung myself into a hole. Um, It's a beautiful, wonderful book. You should totally pick it up. But like a lot of it is like him writing letters to people like, I sent you some copies of the magazine in the mail. Have you received them? <laughs> like a lot of it is all this like bookkeeping stuff. But um and I and I read um a there was it there was sort of an entire like an issue of some archaeology magazine from Europe that was dedicated like uh, that was dedicated entirely to the Situationists. I read that, um, like maybe five or six other books. There's a guy named Mackenzie Work who writes a lot about them. And um, then once I had done all of that research, I deviated at will. Yeah. So so don't don't read this book for like a straight history of the Situationists. I made shit up, guys. <laughs> and then sometimes I'd, I. Um, couldn't remember a fact and I made it up. Because I was too lazy to look it up or I was tired. It was late. I had pages due and I was just like this one did that in history. Sure. <laughs> Anybody else? We can also. Andrew? So would you want to play Molly in a movie? Oh god that's so hard. Like I feel like the only person that's like Appropriate is like Zondaya, but I don't like her. <laughs> oh, God, it's so hard. Who, who would you? Zondaya. What? Yeah. I don't know. She just seems like not chill. Like, my friend Kai in the back is super offended because he loves her. Look at him. He's dying back there. He's like super offended. Um, I don't know, Andrew. Who would you want to play her? I don't know. Yeah. Race, so yeah, I should have thought about that when I was writing it. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez would actually be great. She could really get inside that room. Yeah. What's up, Corey? Do you think that you would listen to Molly Metropolis' music? Oh, yeah, obviously. Of course. Who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, who are your favorite pop stars? Uh, it's like pick, it's like picking my kids. Um, um, like like which child is your favorite? Um, t- th- this past I can't I can't like, I, Taylor Swift is great. I love Taylor Swift. I love Lady Gaga. Um, I love Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey is such like an LA pop star. I'm so into it. Um, Janelle Monae. Does she? I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Those are the ones. Anybody else? We can all just hang out now. Yeah. Do you have the magazine that the, you made a... The zine? Are there any copies left, guys? Yes, there are copies of the zine left. I also, um, Melville House is super cool. Yeah, John, will you hold yours up just so people can see? Um, Melville House, which is like, they're so cool. They had me write and um, uh, they produced this zine, which is like a fan zine from Ollie Metropolis. It is from the voice of a fan uh, right after she disappeared. Uh, The fan is really upset. She's really sad. She's trying to work through some stuff. My friend who's not here... uh, Rachel, she drew the drawings in it. It's really cool. I think it's probably free with purchase maybe? I don't know how they're, they're in charge of it. It's free with purchase. Yeah? I wrote the very first pages in December of 2008 and I turned in the copy edit two months ago? Three? So um, I was working on it, not continuously. There were breaks, there were gaps, there was busy months at work, but it uh, was this happening when you we were at the office It time was, time? yeah. Um, Lisa and I used to work together, but I did not. I I, I was just writing the whole time. The going on. Yeah, I had the X Files and I was writing. Yeah, I watched TV at work, guys. <laughs> is um is that it? I guess, yeah. What job was that? Were they hiring? <laughs> Um, it was. It was not worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Um And and she'll attest that it was not worth it. Um, cool. Well, it, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Go, Darcy. Go. Yes. Uh. How for? Yeah, um, and you're talking about like the, like the big map the ghost network, the subway maps and stuff yeah well you know I mean really one of the ways that I got into this story was like through like just being kind of interested in like the way that people made maps like I had like a very brief fascination with that and it sort of then I colored the whole novel um, and um, it, it to me it's just interesting, like, I have a very bad sense of direction, and so I'm referring to maps a lot of the time, um, and, and it's, it just interests me the way that we try to sort of, like, make order of our space, um, um, especially, you know, in relation to something like, like the map in the book, which is called the Ghost Network, there's a big map called the Ghost Network in the book, um, it's like a map of like things that don't actually exist, really, and that's interesting to me to kind of like take fictional worlds and layer them on top of real ones. Um, that's kind of a like this novel I consider um, a nonfiction novel from an alternate universe. So in a way, it's the same thing, like a little bit of fake world layered on top of the real world. Is that it? Ready. You started your next novel? <laughs> I have. And um, it is going. <laughs> That's it. That's all I can tell you. All right, cool. Oh, wait. Oh, Chris. Sorry, Chris. I didn't see you. What did you learn when you Oh, God. Well, I learned that writing the first draft is the absolute worst part. It's terrible. Never write a first draft of anything, just revise. Um, But really, really, more, it was, I think, I think I just learned, um, I think I learned patience. Um, There was a lot of times when I was writing this novel that I was, I felt like I had like a completed draft. Like I'd written the whole draft, but it wasn't quite ready, it wasn't quite right. I needed to go back into it and work on it, but my, all of my instincts were like, just get away from it, finish it, send it out, even though it wasn't ready because I was just exhausted, I was tired, I was done, but I think waiting and not kind of sending it out and not doing that, really I think if I, if, I, if I had, if I hadn't waited, I would have, it wouldn't have been purchased. I don't think it would have been published because it just, it wasn't there, it wasn't ready, and so um, I had to learn that. It was hard. <laughs> hey, what's up? Sam? Um, I guess I was—I don't know—I haven't read it, but and without revealing too much, but I was wondering, like, what I—I kind of saw the trajectory of, like, the narrative, like, heading towards. I guess I'm wondering, like, to what extent Molly's like liberated by, like, being able to fade into her own mythology. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't want to spoil too much. I don't want to sort of give away any of the mysteries, but um, I think. I, I, I can't even say anything without spoiling it. We can talk about this private privately later. I'll spoil it to you in private. Hey Nikki, what's up? where you get that awesome dress? Oh my God. Okay, so so this dress is great. Um, my friend uh, Dana, who's not here, dyed the fabric, and then a wonderful woman made it for me. Yeah. So um, it is a custom dress for this event, designed to fit my body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm wearing Katie (laughs) Anybody else? If not, we can hang out It's cool Alright, thank you guys so much for coming You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.